Let me invite you this morning to open up God's Word with me to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 27 today as we continue our trek uh, through this story, through this book, this important piece that's part of God's great story of redeeming a people to be His people. Um, you, you know what you call a, a team that loses in the semifinals of the SEC basketball tournament? Uh, a team that is ready for the NCAA tournament. And so my Arkansas Razorbacks may have lost yesterday, but they are ready for the tournament. I don't know if you've been watching much basketball. I don't know if your team is winning. I know uh, a good number of your, uh, you have a team that is in the championship game. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when my team loses, sometimes I get a little down. Uh, sometimes I get a little uh, upset. Sometimes it even puts a little dampener on my my day and then sometimes I think about that and I think about how foolish that is how silly that is to be moved by how a sports team does that really I have no control over and nothing uh, to do with certainly it's exciting to watch but sometimes I need to be reminded uh, of the significance of God's love for me sometimes we need to be reminded of the significance of God's love for us, of His care for us, His provision for us, His commitment to us. Sometimes we need to be reminded of His amazing love, His amazing grace. And I don't say that even this morning tongue-in-cheek, but to be reminded that we serve a good and gracious God. A God who cares for us. A God who knows us, who knows everything there is to know about us. And longs to be in relationship with us. And so as we open His Word this morning, that's a message that I hope we hear. That's a message that I think the Bible clearly communicates. And there is no doubt in my, my mind that God is absolutely committed to me. That He loves me far beyond what I deserve. And there's also no doubt in my mind that He loves you any less. Friends, He loves us. And so as we open His Word, may we hear of His love for us. In fact, this whole story is about God's love for us, about his love for his people. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, or perhaps you've not uh, been trekking through this journey with us, God has made some promises. He's made some promises to a guy named Abraham, and Abraham's offspring, Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. He has uh, called them into relationship with him, into a, a covenant relationship with the Lord God Almighty, a covenant relationship that is to be expressed uh, through their faith in him and his commitment to them. But even so, even though God has promised that Abraham's offspring would inherit a great land and that they would be a great multitude and that they would impact all the nations, they would bless all the nations of the world, even so, they've spent 400 plus years in slavery in a foreign land. Their situation has been difficult. They've multiplied greatly, but they've been oppressed. And so at the beginning of the book of Exodus, God uh, says, uh, I've heard their cries for help and I am coming down to deliver them. I am coming to rescue them. And so he calls a man named Moses to be his messenger, to be his servant, to go and to deliver them. Moses, of course, resists, but God insists and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to show you what to do and what to say. And so you know the story. God brings a series of signs and plagues upon the land of Egypt and he delivers the Israelites, a mass multitude, a million plus Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and across the Red Sea, he parts the waters of the sea and then he drowns Pharaoh's army that's running after them and God continues to provide for them. He provides bread from heaven uh, known as manna. He provides pure water from the rock in the desert and now they've come to the desert, they've come to the base of Mount Sinai 
where God has made His glory known to them atop that mountain. The, the mountain has shaken. And the ground has trembled. They've trembled because they are scared. They are fearful of this mighty one's presence who is now near to them, and rightly so. God has called their leader. He has called their human messenger, mediator, Moses, up atop the mountain to meet with with God and to hear some instructions from God. And you know the story. We unpack the story. That's where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments that he then gives to the people. And he goes on to unpack those commandments a bit further. And then God says in Exodus chapter 25, he says, uh, Tell the Israelites to build me a sanctuary. A tent, a tabernacle, a house, a dwelling place, because I'm going to come down and and dwell among them. And so Moses then delivers those instructions about that tabernacle and about the very various furnishings of it uh, to the people. But we're in the midst of God giving those instructions. And so that's where we pick up the story this morning in Exodus chapter 27. So let me invite you, as is our practice here, uh, as you find your place there in God's Word, to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy Word. Let's hear from, from God today. Exodus 27, beginning in verse 1. God says, Build an altar of acacia wood. Three cubits high, it is to be square. Five cubits long and five cubits wide. Make a horn at each of the four corners, so that the horns and the altar are of one piece. And overlay the altar with bronze. Make all its utensils of bronze, its pots to remove the ashes, and its shovels, sprinkling bowls, meat forks, and fire pans. Make a grating for it, a bronze network, and make a bronze ring at each of the four corners of the network. Put it under the ledge of the altar so that it is halfway up the altar. Make poles of acacia wood for the altar and overlay them with bronze. The poles are to be inserted into the ring so they will be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. Make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Let's bow together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us through it now by the presence and power and guidance of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, as we've been looking at the tabernacle and the various furnishings Uh, of it, we have seen, and I hope you've noticed that there in the tent, particularly in the most holy place, part of the tent, where God is going to descend, where He is going to dwell, where He's going to manifest His presence in a particular way and meet uh, with Moses and then uh, the high priest, uh, according to God's instructions, there in the the Holy of Holies, the most holy place above the Ark of the Covenant, everything in that place was gold, covered in gold. In fact, much of what was also in uh, the, the holy place, the, the, the portion of the tent outside of the most holy place was also gold. Gold everywhere signifying the value and the worth, the majesty of God Himself. But as now the furnishings are further removed from the presence of God, uh, the materials... Uh, began to go down in value, in worth, in significance as well. And so where there are some silver bases, where this tent, this tabernacle, this abode uh, for God meets the earth, now in the courtyard where the altar is, the altar is made of, of bronze. It's further removed 
from the presence of God. And you can see an image of what this altar uh, looked like on the screen. It was about seven and a half feet uh, uh, on each side, a seven and a half foot uh, uh, square, or seven and a half foot uh, wide by by uh, by deep, however you say that, and then about four and a half feet tall off the ground, with a grate in it, with poles for carrying it. It was bronze, not only to signif- signify that it's further removed from the presence of God, but also because bronze is durable, and bronze is heat resistance. And this is going to be a place of fire. This is going to be a place of sacrifice. And we read about all of these various tools, shovels, pots to remove ashes, bowls for the blood, meat forks for turning the meat, fire pans, a grate across the inside of the grill. And so here, think of, think of a large grill. That's what this was. A large grill for the purposes that God is going to give it. You can see that here that it had horns, a horn on each corner and there's debate about sort of the significance of these horns. They may have uh, simply been ornamental or they may have been practical. They may have been used to tie down animal sacrifices on the on the altar or they may have been symbolic or some combination of each uh, signifying that this was the place of power. This was the place of salvation. Now this is a lot of detail. We've been working through a lot of detail in this portion of the Bible and if we're not careful church, we read these instructions concerning the tabernacle and we conclude that it was simply a gift to God uh, as if it was a monument, a, a monument to his power, an expression of his worth and it was that but it was so much more than that. You see the tabernacle was not so much a monument to God as a place to go and meet with God. God says to Moses, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among you. I'm going to come down and meet with you. The Lord has rescued a people to be in relationship with him, to know him and to make him known. Friends, he desires to commune with his people. I want you to hear this morning that he desires to commune with you. Friends, God desires to commune with us, but communion with God requires sacrifice. Communion with God requires sacrifice. I don't know how many of you saw, but I'm guessing some of you saw the recent uh, Oprah interview with uh, Meghan uh, Markle and and Prince Harry um, uh, detailing their decision to sort of distance themselves from the royal family. And I didn't see all of that, but I saw portions of that. And there was a, a moment there in the interview where uh, where, where Megan uh, recounts uh, that she's preparing to meet the Queen. She is preparing to meet Queen Elizabeth. She is on her way. She is dating Prince Harry at the time, and she hears that she is going to meet uh, the Queen. And so she is asked, do you, do you know how to curtsy? And so she learns very quickly in a short amount of time how you're to curtsy the Queen, how you're to curtsy royalty. And so Oprah asks her, how does one curtsy? And she responds, deeply. Deeply, to show respect. You see, there's a vast gulf between royalty and common folks in the eyes of the world. To meet royalty is no small thing. Yet the gulf between you or I and Queen Elizabeth does not compare, friends, to the gulf between you and the King of all kings. Or between me and the King of all kings. The creator of the universe has issued an invitation for you to come and meet with him. But you must not come empty-handed. Communion with God Almighty requires sacrifice because we are not worthy. Friends, we are not worthy to enter the presence of the Almighty. We are not worthy for God is holy. 
He is holy. The scriptures are clear on this, that he is a holy God. And to say that God is holy means there is no one like him anywhere. He is incomparable. Friends, he is set apart. He is distinct. He is separate. He's in a category all by himself. And to know how he's holy, only consider the rest of his attributes. He's all-powerful. No one else is all-powerful. Right? He's the creator. No one else creates. He's self-sufficient. He's all-knowing. He's ever-present. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's in a category all by himself. And you know, sometimes people in distinct positions don't associate with everyone else. Right? Living behind gates or always sitting in the box seats or always flying first class, only going to the sky lounge, never interacting with those outside their distinct class. But incredibly, friends, this God who is holy is also personal. He is chosen according to his desire, according to his plan and goodwill. He is chosen to reveal himself to people. And he chooses to dwell among people and to have fellowship with people. And this tabernacle that the Israelites are to build would provide the place where God would meet with his people. But the first thing his people saw, the first thing Israelites saw when they entered the courtyard to worship God was the altar. The bronze altar. And so you see that image of the altar there with smoke rising up. As they entered uh, the courtyard there where the, the, the colorful curtains are, as they entered into the courtyard, this stood between them and God's presence in the sanctuary, standing between the worshipers and God. As one author says, this was the first thing they encountered. As soon as the Israelites entered the courtyard, they saw a flaming altar. And the first thing they did was to make a sacrifice for their sins. You see, before anything else happens, something has to be done about our sin. The altar was a place of blood and death where animals were slashed and burned. A constant reminder that communion with God requires sacrifice because God is holy and we are not. We are sinners. Friends, we are sinners. And ultimately, all sin is sin against God. All sin is against our Maker, which means we're guilty. We're guilty before the judge. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin, the earnings of that sin is death. Since God is just, He cannot simply ignore guilt. He's a perfect Judge, and we know this, no good judge turns a blind eye to the guilty. Since we were made to fellowship with God, but sin prevents fellowship with God. Our sin stands in the way. We are sinful people, and sinners need atonement. Sinners need atonement. Sin breaks our fellowship with God, and atonement describes the act of mending that broken relationship. And so according to the scriptures, atonement involves an innocent party taking the punishment in place of the guilty party. And so this was practiced in Israelite history. It was practiced particularly on the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur every year as the high priest would follow the instructions laid out in Leviticus 16 and offer an animal sacrifice for himself, for his own guilt, and then another one on behalf of the people. But it was not only practiced 
particularly on that day, throughout the rest of the year, animal substitutes were offered on the altar every single day. Animals were slaughtered in place of human sinners. An innocent party taking the punishment due a guilty party. In this way, God accepted a substitute that was offered to him in faith, providing atonement through the shedding of blood. Friends, shed blood provides atonement. According to the Bible, shed blood provides atonement. God is holy. We are sinners. Sinners need atonement. And shed blood provides that atonement. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood. God says, I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. I don't know about you, but I, I get a bit uncomfortable sometimes around all this talk of sin. And sacrifice. I don't want to talk about sin. Let alone hear that someone's got to die for it. I, I want another way. right? I, I want a ladder that I can climb. I want some steps that I can take. I want a back door right into heaven. Or reconciliation with God. I, I want a loophole around this bloody altar of sacrifice. It doesn't sit that well. But there isn't one. There is no other way. This is the way. The sacrifice is taught that sin brings death, that sin results in death, and shed blood brings atonement. When the sinner placed his hands on the animal to be sacrificed, he was identifying with that animal as if to say, this is what should be happening to me. My sin has caused this. Sometimes we may think God is harsh, Severe, because we have a man-centered perspective of sin. Sin against God is quite serious. It is ignoring what He expects and desires by doing what we desire to do instead. God is holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's separate. He's incomparable. We are sinners. Sinners need atonement. Shed blood provides atonement. A restored relationship between the offender and and the offended one, and amazingly, church, the offended one, God, longs to commune with the offenders, with us. Therefore, God provides a substitute. He provides the sacrificial substitute. He provides it. He he gives it. God gives what God expects of us. He gives to us. What he expects and desires and demands from us. This sort of reminds me of of giving our children a little bit of uh, uh, cash or coins on a Sunday morning or during vacation Bible school to put in the offering plate, right? We're teaching them to give to the Lord, to, to give what God has entrusted to us for his ministry, for his purposes. But ultimately, in that scenario, the gift is not from the kids, right? It's from whoever's providing the offering. And likewise, God provides the offering. He says in Leviticus 17, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. In other words, God provides the substitute because His love for us means He wants, He desires to mend the broken relationship. Incredibly, He desires 
fellowship with us. God desires to be in relationship with us. We see that here in the book of Exodus, but we don't just see it here in Exodus. This is the story of God's word. We see it throughout his word. And so let me encourage you, friends, every time you hear God's word taught or preached, or every time you read it for yourself, look for God's desire to be in relationship with you. Read and listen and look for his commitment to you. We fast forward to the New Testament and John helps us see this desire, God's desire, by putting it this way. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice For our sins. God provides the sacrifice. God provides the sacrificial substitute. The animals to be slaughtered on the altar. And his very own son to be slaughtered on the altar of the cross. Friends, he has done so because he desires to be in relationship with you. I said last week, and let me say it again. See the father's desire to be in relationship with you. See the father's desire for you. To be right with you. Certainly he knows you, but to be known by you. God's provision is always an expression of his love. See his love for you. See his desire to fellowship with you. Don't believe the devil's lie that God wants nothing to do with you. That's not true. No, he made you and he loves you and he longs to be known by you. He wants you to be saved, to be reconciled to him, to know his compassion and his character and to rest in the comfort and security of his constant care and abundant provision. And friends, this is why he provided the place, the altar and a sacrificial system for Israel. The sacrificial system provided temporary Reconciliation. Provided temporary reconciliation. The the bronze altar that stood in the courtyard of the tabernacle was a place of constant sacrifice. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. Can you imagine? To the priest, God will soon say, This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Each day. Two lambs, a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. Leviticus chapter 6 tells us the fire on the altar must must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. And so at the very least, two animal sacrifices on the bronze altar every day for centuries. These were burnt offerings, meaning they were a general sacrifice for sin. This doesn't count the additional fellowship offerings or sin offerings and guilt offerings that worshipers regularly chose to bring to the priest to sacrifice on the altar. The fire was never extinguished, and yet it was still never enough. For the Bible says it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats only provided temporary reconciliation between God and His people. These sacrifices were never sufficient They were never sufficient to truly receive the punishment for human sin. 
Even the best, which is what they were to bring, even the best, the cleanest and the costliest animal substitute could never really take away our sins. You see, church, the law and the priest, the sacrifices and the sanctuary only pointed to something better, to someone greater, to a sacrificial savior who would provide the permanent solution to our problem before a holy God. The animal sacrifices were God's provision for a time, but we human sinners needed one of our own kind. Not a spotless lamb, but a perfect man who would become our substitute, shedding his own innocent blood for atonement, providing forgiveness for sins and restoration with God and salvation once and for all. Friends, communion with God requires sacrifice. Requires sacrifice. The sacrificial system that we're reading about here in Exodus provided temporary reconciliation. But praise the Lord God Almighty, the sacrificial Savior, provides permanent salvation. Permanent salvation in Jesus. Church, this is why the Son of God came to us. The Bible declares that the Son of God tabernacled among us. He made His dwelling among us. He came to dwell among us so that we might know God. He came because God desires to be in relationship with you. See the Father's desire for you. Friends, see His unfailing love for you. Through Jesus, God has shown up to dwell among us. And then the Bible teaches to dwell in us. To dwell in us. To dwell in all who turn in faith to Jesus. To dwell in us by His Spirit. And this very same sacrificial Savior will one day, according to the Word of God, show back up among us to take all who receive the gift of His salvation back home with Him to dwell in His perfect temple, so to speak, forever and ever and ever. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, the author of Hebrews says, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. Friend, are you waiting on him? Are you longing for his arrival? Are you anticipating the Savior's return, the Lamb of God who saves sinners on the altar of the cross. On the altar of the cross, God saves those who receive the substitute in faith. Have you received the substitute in faith? Is your faith in Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Do you believe that He is the only sinless one whose blood can cover you? Do you trust that Christ's substitutionary sacrifice is sufficient, that it is enough to mend your broken relationship with the Holy God. You see, the Word of God says God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Friend, God gave His Son for you so that you might put your faith in Him. So that you might put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and thereby be reconciled to God. Have you been reconciled to God by faith in Jesus? 
Have you been restored into a right relationship with God? Has your broken relationship with God as a result of your sin been mended because you have trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sins? Because you believe that Jesus took the penalty and the punishment for you. Are you right with your maker? Not because there's a ladder to climb, but because you know there's a Savior who died for you. Is your faith in Him? Or are you trusting in something else to save you? You see, communion with God requires sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. The gift has been offered. Have you received it in faith? If you've never received that gift of reconciliation with God, if you've never received that gift of salvation, you can receive that gift today. You can receive that gift and have assurance of it right here, right now, by crying out to God to save you, by acknowledging your sin, admitting your sin before a holy God. Confessing that sin and expressing a desire to turn away from it and put your faith in Jesus, the sacrificial substitute and Savior of the world. Expressing your faith in Him and desire to follow after Him. If you've never done that, do so today. If you have questions about that, then certainly as we, as we have a, a hymn of response in just a few moments or after our service, then come, come find me. Find David, find Kevin, find one of our staff folks. Ask somebody around you. If you don't know that you are right with God, what a joy, what a privilege it would be today to tell you how to be right with God. You can be right with God today. Have you received the gift in faith? But you know, there is one last sacrifice left to be made. And we read about it in Romans Chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, or I urge you, believers, I urge you, church, I urge those that have been reconciled to God, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the only sacrifice left to be made is the sacrifice of self. The surrender of self to the God of mercy. And if you know the God of mercy, I mean really know His love and His mercy, then you're going to want to please Him. You're going to want to honor Him. You're going to naturally respond to His love for you by giving yourself to Him. May His mercy lead you to lay your life before Him. Friends, lay your life before the God who saves. May we be a people who lay our lives before Him. Who say, Father, whatever You want from me, I commit to give to You. Father, wherever You lead me, I want to follow after You. Jesus, whatever You desire from me and ask of me, I commit to give. How could I not because of what you have done for me? So I don't know what that looks like for you. One of my favorite preachers would often communicate that message by saying, Lord is asking for a, a blank check. What does it mean 
to give Him a blank check of my life. And for some, perhaps that does mean you begin sacrificing financially for the glory of His name. But it means far more than that. Perhaps it means you begin engaging those the Lord has put in your path with the gospel of Jesus. Perhaps it means you commit to walking with Jesus day after day after day, time with Him. Perhaps it means saying, Lord, wherever you lead me, I want to be faithful to you and I will go. Perhaps it means acknowledging, giving over a particular sin or pattern in your life to the Lord that you simply cannot defeat on your own, nor do you desire to. Give it to Him. Lay your life before Him. May we be a people who lay our lives before King Jesus because Jesus gave His life for us. Lord, help us to do so. Father, help us to do so in our hearts today. Father, we do not want to delay. We want to be faithful. Lord, we want to be obedient. Father, we want to follow Jesus. We acknowledge this morning, in fact, we have gathered this morning to declare that Jesus saves That your grace is greater than all our sins. And Father, not only does your grace save us, but your grace then spurs us on to want to follow after you. So lead us to do so today. Father, may we exalt your name here and now. May we give our lives for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.